Welcome to Atune, an audio narrative anthology brought to you by the Yale Daily News. In order to stay in tune with others, we bring you compelling narratives about the everyday and the extraordinary, stories of human interaction and relationships. In this series, you'll hear student-produced short stories, plays, and poetry, as well as voice talent and original soundtracks by both Yale students and alumni. Whether you're listening on a drive or in quarantine, while making dinner or taking a walk, by yourself or with friends. We hope this collection of stories brings everyone a little closer together. Today you'll be hearing two short stories in a radio play. The first short story is entitled Vanishment. It was written by TJ Moreska and is read by Julia Sikalski. In it, you'll hear original music composed by Zach Samel. For those who would like to follow along as they listen, there is a link in the episode description to all the written work included. Turn your thoughts to the road as the world is disappearing into dreamlike oblivion. You wake up at 3 a.m. A high, fuzzy noise prods at your ears almost like the static from an old-fashioned TV. At first, you mistake it for an alarm clock, but your clock doesn't make that noise. Nothing makes that noise in this house. You creep out of bed. The air greets you with a cold pinch, an unfriendly reminder of the unpaid heating bill and the try-to-forget drawer. Forgetting, you have found, is impossible to force. Don't think of the white bear, as the psychologists like to say. And in doing so, they curse every listening mind with a furry new inhabitant. Don't think about money, you tell yourself, until crumpled green papers occupy your every thought. The papers and the fuzz follow you through the house, onto the porch, into the car. The green traffic lights remind you of money, and they're all green this morning. No other cars wander the roads at 3 a.m. Even the sky is empty. The light pollution has probably scared off the stars, you tell yourself. The lampposts and the traffic lights' metal frames appear to have departed as well, leaving only hovering orbs behind. This makes less sense. The car's heating works. The bill for that is cheaper. It soothes your muscles, calms the headache that the fuzz has begun to cause. Soon, the distant figure begins to creep back into your eyelids. You might fall asleep behind the wheel. Music! You shout internally to jolt yourself awake. Something loud to keep your eyelids blinking. You turn the car radio's dial, expecting sound. Bubbles squeeze out through the cracks between the LED numbers and float into the air. You stop driving. The road has ended. Jefferson Street usually turns right, here. Now it turns nowhere. The darkness that has occupied the polluted sky stretches downwards, consuming the trees, the lampposts, pavement, and you. Our next story is a radio play entitled It's Just a Ghost. It was written by Jen Camera Nessi, co-directed by Sofia Lee and Slavia Zaharieva, and voiced by Lucy Ellis and Sarah McInnes. In it, you'll hear original music composed by Zach Samel. In this piece, we hear two roommates discussing the possibility of a ghost haunting their apartment. We're haunted. Hmm? That's it. We're officially haunted. You and Hunter can stop saying I'm crazy and can finally recognize that this apartment is fucking haunted. I never said you were crazy. Yeah, sure, Bree, but it's not like you take me seriously. (sighs) What makes you say that? The not taking me seriously, or...? Obviously the fact that you say there's a ghost. Because there is one! Books on my shelf literally just fell off. We don't get earthquakes, so how could they fall off? And look, here, at this picture. Don't you see it in the corner, in between my closet door and and the desk? It just looks like the light came through weird. 
okay, but do you see the skirt right there? And then here, it, it kind of looks like a head. Also, okay, I bought a spirit box. Why would you do that? And I used it when you went to visit your girlfriend that weekend, and I heard something. It said something to me, and... Please don't look at me like that. I'm not. You know what? Fine. What did she say? The ghost said... Well, obviously there's, you know, a lot of cracking because it's a spirit box, but... I think it said, get out. Have you considered the ghost just doesn't like you? That's all you have to say? It's not that I didn't believe you when you said there was a ghost. I just thought you went about being haunted the wrong way. Oh, because there's totally a right way to be haunted. Well, you weren't interested in finding out what the ghost wanted or why she was here. You just wanted to prove we were haunted. Mm, why would that matter? Jesse, if you could prove that this apartment is haunted, what could you do? Go to the landlord and say, Oh, a ghost knocked a book off my shelf. I want to cancel my contract. If we found out why the ghost was upset, then we could at least figure out how to live with her. What does that have to do with the ghost hating me? You're the only one having bad experiences with her. Well, maybe he's just angry for the sake of being angry. I don't think so. She, the ghost, helped me find my keys the other day. Seriously? Yeah, I couldn't find them in the kitchen, so I went to look in my room. Couldn't find them there, and when I came back, they were on the table. I think she put them there when she saw I was looking for them. Maybe you just didn't see your keys. Well, the ghost has never been mean to Hunter. She's never been super nice to Hunter, either. But I think the ghost just likes the sound of their voice. You know, how Hunter talks to themselves. Also, Hunter cleans the kitchen whenever they use it, and I think she appreciates clean people. I cannot believe you're using our haunting to try to get me to clean my room. It's not just that. Remember when you threw up on that antique cabinet? The one that came with the apartment? I was drunk. I had to clean it up, though. I clean up everything. You didn't even put your mug from breakfast away. It's still on the table. <sighs> I bet the ghost is just irritated that you don't seem to take care of the apartment. I was gonna put away the mug eventually. I'm not like the guys before us. But we're essentially tourists in her home, you know? I don't think she likes that. It's not my fault the previous guys trashed the place. No, but we can help fix it. You know, apparently an old woman lived here for a long time. But she was priced out towards the end of her life. The guys who run the community garden told me about it. I think she's the ghost. You're making stuff up now. I literally just live here. It was hers first, though. It's just a ghost. Fine. Be lazy. Get haunted. Have books thrown around your room and never get a full night's worth of sleep. Do nothing except leech off my and Hunter's work so you can be a self-absorbed, party all weekend, and think the only thing that matters in your life is you, so we can fix your mess. Is Hunter home? Hunter won't be back until five. Still got another hour. Right. You can always ignore me, of course. After all, she's just a ghost. Our final piece is a short story called Drive. It was written by Mia Arya Sang and is read by Sarah McInnes. You hear original music composed by Zach Simao. This story follows a couple who loses their humanity as they're fleeing during the apocalypse. 1 a.m. We were already in the car when the news came on the radio, driving back from a wedding in Westchester. 
Everything ends today, they said. Go west. Go now. I watched her swallow hard and turn onto the empty freeway away from home. The world would later wake up to what we knew, but for now, we were ahead of the curve. We had a chance. 2 a.m. I had been in charge of the music, and now I was careful. I turned the brightness all the way down to save power. I didn't repeat a single song. The last time we'd hear New Order. The last time we'd hear Phoebe Bridgers. She pressed the gas pedal into the floor and cried. 3 a.m. The floodlights began to flicker out as we passed. I stopped looking in the rear view because it felt too much like the darkness was chasing us. Eventually, it caught up. 4 a.m. We stopped for gas. We filled the tank and as many of the red canisters as would fit in the trunk. We went inside the store for a map and some water, and whisper fought in the freezer aisle over whether to pay or steal. I want to be good until the end, she hissed, and marched up to the counter with a $20 bill. While she was gone, I slipped a bag of gummy worms up my sleeve. 5 a.m. My phone died. The last song we ever heard was Dog Days Are Over. 6 a.m. Judging from their speed, the commuters trickling onto the road were, as of yet, unaware. She weaved around them, honking and swearing. We cut off a dad in a minivan who flipped us off. I laughed and returned the favor. The terror of the early hours had morphed into a twisted sense of superiority. We were trying to outrun the end of the world, and he was driving his kids to daycare, and somehow we were the idiots. I fed her a gummy worm, and she didn't ask me where I'd gotten them. I fed her a gummy worm, and she didn't ask me where I'd gotten them. 7 a.m. Purple sky. People must have finally turned on their radios because we started to gridlock. I looked to my right and saw a man in a blue button-down at the wheel of a Prius beside us. Tears streamed down his cheeks, but his mouth was closed. He looked like he was choking. I put my hand on the glass and caught his eye. It's going to be okay. I murmured to him. I know, she replied from the driver's seat, cutting across to the nearest exit. I lost sight of the man in the Prius. I'm going to try to take the back roads, she continued. Get the map. I nodded. I didn't bother trying to explain. 8.03 a.m. It happened in Pennsylvania. We were crawling through a stretch of woods somewhere near Pittsburgh. By now, everyone was running. We had to avoid all the highways, even the small ones. He was just a speck at first, but as we approached, we both saw his arms waving wild, and even through the closed windows, we could hear his desperation. Keep driving, I said. He needs help, she said. I dug my nails into her shoulder. Keep driving. 8.04 a.m. He was on the side of the road, and then he wasn't. I gripped the door handle, expecting her to swerve. But he raised his hand, and I saw a flash, sunlight on metal. 8.05 a.m. We stared down the barrel of his pistol. 8.05 a.m. She screamed. Oh my god! 8.05 a.m. Just before she slammed on the gas, I saw him tuck the muzzle tenderly inside his mouth. 8.06 a.m. There was a bang. There was a crunch. She jerked her foot up, and without thrust, the car rolled forward slower and slower until it stopped. 
8.07 a.m. We sat there in silence as red mist settled on the windshield. Behind us, the sun was rising. Ahead of us, the horizon was made golden. 8.15 a.m. Uh, okay, she said at last. She lifted her trembling hands from her lap and curled her fingers around the steering wheel. <sighs> okay. She turned on the wipers and started to drive. Thank you for listening to this episode of Attune, the first episode of our third season. It was produced by Sophia Lee, Slaveza Zaharieva, Eileen Pang, and Laura Palacio-Londonio, as well as Mitchell Davis and Suraj Singaretti. I'm Mitchell, your host for today. This episode was sound engineered by Laura Palacio-Londonio, Slaveya Zaharieva, Mitchell Davis, and Suraj Singaretti. Our intro and outro theme is written by Sharon On. Special thanks to Simia Luren and Andrea Lee, our podcast editors at the YDN. Join us again next time for short stories and poems exploring relationships, friendships, and family. From all of us at Attune, thank you for listening and have a good day.